Hello and welcome to the Grazia Fashion Podcast, Why I Wear It. I am wearing gym kit because I do a class every day at my fantastic local gym and then I tend to come home and sit in my sweaty gym clothes until there's a reason to have a bath. I'm your host, Laura Antonia Jordan, and this is a podcast about fashion with a side of feelings. We ask the questions, why do we wear the things we do and what do our clothes reveal about us? So I've got on thermal leggings, sports socks, sports shorts that are about 35 years old, a sweatshirt that's even older than that, a t-shirt and sports bra into that. And I will sit fermenting in this until I've had to face another human being, in which case I will have a bath and put on normal clothes. And I must say, disgusting though it sounds, that's completely normal for me. This week, I speak to the writer Sarah Wheeler. Sarah is the author of many books, including Terra Incognita, Travels in Antarctica. It's brilliant. I urge you to read it. And Modern Stars, a book about travelling around Russia. I am honoured to know Sarah well. She isn't just one of my writing icons, but also one of the most joyful dressers I know. So it was an absolute delight to welcome her onto this episode. She talks about the places that have inspired her style, the challenges of dressing for the South Pole, and her unravelling, literally and metaphorically, in a sari. So I'm so thrilled to welcome Sarah Wheeler today. When I knew that we were speaking today, it got me thinking about Joan Didion's uh, highly edited packing list. And obviously, as somebody who's travels for as part of your job, have you mastered the art of packing? What sort of packer are you when you need to go away? Well, the first thing to say is, of course, it depends where I'm going. Now, I spent I have spent quite a lot of time in my career in extreme environments. Now, when I say extreme environments, I mean places like the South Pole, which I don't think any of your listeners will disagree, characterising it as extreme. Um, but uh, there would be also cultural requirements of other countries. And I've got three big bags on the top shelf of my wardrobe. Um, one is um, polar gear, the Arctic and the Antarctic. Another is safari gear. And another is cover-up country gear. And the most thrilling part of every trip is when I drag a chair over and stand on it to get one of those bags down. And, of course, in terms of cultural references for clothes, it's multifaceted. I have to learn in ways that aren't those obvious ones. For example, I'm very attracted to women-only spaces wherever I go, the world over. And I go for them like, and make a beeline for them. Uh, I enjoy them. And also they're a good place as a writer to get, get chatting to people who are perhaps in a less guarded situation. Of course, Muslim countries all have in, hammams, women only, and steam baths. The protocol of hammams varies around the world, as I have found to my cost. There's always a very nice disrobing room. Some of these places are sort of stone 17th century domes with tiny holes high up in the roof letting in little shafts of light. I mean, they're absolutely wonderful, bearing in mind that the only sound is the clanking of metal buckets on stone and the slap of hands on wet flesh. Anyway, I remember in Tripoli, in Libya, I'd made my way, as usual, on my first day, in fact, to the hammam, public hammam, women only, and was stripping off in the room designated for such a thing. But when I said protocol varies... How much you take off varies. And uh, I was used to being in places where you take the whole lot off. <laughs> and then Tripoli, I got told off for taking off my knickers 
which I think I can say, even my disreputable career, it's the only time in my life I have been told off, at least in a public place, for taking off my knickers. As you know, I'm constantly on a quest to take my knickers off, but <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> Actually, there was something else. You, I wrote an essay last year about who we really dress for and you kindly provided some quotes for it and one of the things you said was as I travel so much with my work I tend to dress to fit in and be unobtrusive as a writer observing people I don't want to stand out how do you dress in real life to dress to to fit in or to stand out well I think probably more to stand out I bought the most fantastic multi-coloured fun fur waistcoat in Ox Farm and the Kingsland Road in the East End during lockdown because what you could do even though the shop wasn't open was look in the window and then go home and identify it online and buy it online. I do have quite a lot of brightly coloured things. There's that. I've got, I have bought this summer, um, I'm not sure if you saw it Laura, trouser suit, cotton, short sleeved shirt in that 70s psychedelic print somebody said it was like their nan's curtains i got that in mango and i'm very keen on it um looking forward to going to a hot place to wear it so i would say that you have identified what i try and do when i'm at home what i like to do when i am at home is not try and blend in because when i'm on the road for many reasons uh, as you've said I, i do have to blend in would you say you talked about uh, lockdown then? And as you know, I've we've spoken a lot about a lot of the things I've brought, bought this year that have sort of helped my spirits when I was feeling low or how I felt like it was engaging in some way with the world beyond my little flat here. Um, my, we were talking about that. We b- believe it's pronounced Vishivanka, the uh, Ukrainian dress that I showed you, for instance, oh, yes. from Vitakin. Yeah, um, how would you say that this year affected how you dressed? Well, probably made me all even more slovenly than usual. I, I spend a lot of my working life just sitting at a desk, looking at a screen, and very often the pyjamas stay on for really quite a long time. And I have been known if I need to go out and get some milk to put a coat on over my pyjamas and my Wellingtons, uh, trying to... F- fool the populace of South End Green that in fact I am dressed when I'm not (laughs) and I think all of that has deteriorated further when there was no reason to go out and I've kind of missed it I love going to parties and putting on frocks and frocks have risen up the agenda since I'm 60 and um, I don't feel remotely inhibited uh, by what I wear being 60 but I have had to have had to accept with great regret that I just can't wear high heels anymore and it's fine Um, I love teetering around on high heels but my balance and my knees I mean they're only what anybody's would be of 60 but I just can't do it and I accept that with a good good grace um, and it's fine but it does make the brightly coloured dresses and I like things with fake jewels stitched onto them as well you did buy yourself some lovely jewellery didn't you for your birthday Yes, I did. Um, I have amassed a very small, very modest collection over the years of antique jewellery, mostly 20s. And when a big birthday comes up, either my former partner when he was feeling guilty or now my dad, who's much more reliable, they say, what do you want? And um, I generally go down to Grey's Antique Market 
And I've just got half a dozen pieces, just. I mean, I'm lucky to have them. I've got half a dozen pieces, which I've had for many decades, and um, I absolutely love them. And the fact that they're pre-loved, of course, means I fashion tremendous stories for myself. I mean, I've got this diamond and gold 1920s bracelet here. And who knew, Laura, to whom that belonged in 1920, 1930, 1940? And you see that bracelet with all the fashions throughout that period right the way up to 2020 and me in a 400 year old sweatshirt and what a film that would make that's how I shop that's why I I love to I love clothes it's like I'm almost imagining the future stories the possibilities that's why to go back to the thing about packing I'm always a complete overpacker because I'm sort of greedy for those experiences that I feel like they'll be integral to, if that makes sense. Yes, I think a piece of clothing can be looking forward in the same way that a second-hand one uh, looks back. And yeah, they're investing it with the imagination. That's a wonderful thing to do. And people often perceive undue attention to clothes as being frivolous, but I don't really see it like that, For partly for the reason you suggest, that they can be invested with the imagination a lot of short stories have been written over the years about the dress and so on and Anna Karenina one of the greatest novels I think we'd all agree ever written I mean it's all about the red handbag isn't it and I think that in the imaginative life both the public one like like that in books and in all our own private imaginations items pieces in your world's language have a great role to play yeah you're impressed I knew that word piece aren't you (laughs) Then you have to start referring to trousers in the singular. Trouser. A great shoe. Oh, that's what I didn't know. I'm going to start <laughs> doing that now. The trouser. I'm wearing my black trouser. Is that right? So we can work on it. <laughs> you're doing well. You're doing well. You mentioned... I'm glad you mentioned Antarctica because you... That... <laughs> I don't even know where to begin about getting dressed. And as you know, a lot of people always ask, how do you pee? when you're in all those clothes. But something I'd like to know is, I'm, I'm assuming that to some extent when you're there, everyone's kind of, there's a sort of homogeny in that everyone's dressing entirely for the practicality. But what I wanted to ask was, do you still see flourishes, touches of personal style somewhere like that? Well, you can do. Um, it's quite hard. I had some lovely clip-on long pearl drop earrings, obviously costume, that I used to sometimes... If you have some photographs of me actually at the South Pole, and um, it was not cold that day by Antarctic standards. It's like minus 10 or something like that, which when it's not not, uh, windy, that's not very cold. And there was a professional photo shoot. There happened to be a photographer there, and she wanted to take me for her stock images. And... um, so it's kind of ridiculous photographs of me with these earrings that I got out of my pocket and put on. And in fact, I, a friend did lead, lend me a Hermes scarf um, for that very reason, to take around the Antarctic. I ended up tying it to my tent. Uh, but th- those little types of personalisation, uh, they do mean a lot. Often in the polar regions, the weather is too brutal. And the opposite is going to be the case You can't buy the stuff, clothes, that are good enough for those conditions. They're manufactured especially for National Antarctic programmes. So you borrow, I borrowed it all from them. So that does mean that you're wearing not similar gear, but the same gear. For example, the top layer, 
which would look like a parka puffer jacket to anybody in the outside world. It's just that it's a much, much bulkier one and you've got much, much more underneath it than you ever would. So they're all red and uh, come down to mid-thigh. And uh, the only uh, personalised feature is there's a Velcro strip on the breast, uh, which you have your name on it. So particularly when the conditions are really bad, you can hardly see anything anyway, just all these figures, uh, if you're in a science camp, with just like red yetis with the blue blue boots. And everybody really does look exactly the same. And you can't get close enough to see uh, what their name is. And then, of course, when you get inside, whether it's to a, a mess tent, say, or a hut, or certainly onto a base station, then you, they're heated. So you've got to strip it all off super quick before you die of, expo- of uh, overheating. Um, and then, of course, you can have your T-shirt, your bottom layer T-shirt. So there's a lot of competitive um, T-shirt slogan wearing, particularly people who've been to the been to the Antarctic before. But then you're washing everything uh, in circumstances like that in... Um, you know, those massive industrial machines that turn everything grey in two seconds anyway. So um, pretty much give a give up. Um, but there's another thing I remembered is they, um, some of the scientists used to make jewellery out of things like pipettes. And um, I remember brightly coloured, um, well, they were like plastic, they looked like plastic pen tops, but they were some, had some role in some centrifuges or other. And uh, I remember the women wearing and indeed making for me some jewellery out of that. And I very much like that uh, improvisation. It's like making your tent a bit personal. I think of you as being this very joyful dresser. Um, Tell me if you disagree. It always makes me smile when I see you and not just because of that. Where do you think is the place that you've been that has sort of visually in that sense that's been the most inspiring to you the most uplifting well southern india takes a beating laura from that point of view i'm thinking of kerala you know those pyramids of spices you see in the markets that are these beautiful colors of saffron and cerise and all the rest of it and the saris are the same colors and they are uplifting um Ah, and of course, so individual. Um, and you have the long skirt on underneath, and then the 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 um, midriff bearing uh, top underneath. That's that's what goes underneath the sari. I know that because I bought a couple of saris, and you buy the three pieces together. And in fact, uh, when I I spent a lot of time in in India in my thirties, um, particularly my early thirties, I had a column on a newspaper, the Calcutta Telegraph, and. Um, I used to go there a lot and travelled quite a lot. I absolutely loved it. And um, I was living at that time in, in London in a, um, a flat in Mornington Crescent. And it was the top two flats of one of those houses, top two floors of one of those houses there. And my bedroom's on the top floor. So there was a lot of stairs to go up. And um, I remember after I'd had a few, if I'd been out a night wearing the sari in the morning this great expanse of silk would start at the front door and wind all the way up the stairs and end at my bed. (laughs) As you unravelled. (laughs) I love it. I love it. When when you're, like, not feeling good, (laughs) which is something I'm familiar with myself, not feeling great, 
Would you say that you have like a I'm not okay outfit? I mean, for some, that's about concealing that, you know, sort of dressing up more than ever. And other people, it's just about giving up. Like, what's your not your I'm not okay outfit? Oh, definitely the shapeless. I think that somewhere or other in the subconscious is covering up any signs of curves and body, isn't it? I assume that's why I do it. Like a lot of people, the shapeless, shapeless old pullover, you know, where you could be any size or shape underneath it. So it could be a woman or a man. Um, and uh, I always think that track pants were sort of invented for that kind of mood. Uh, slippers, I'm a great one for slippers. Um, so you would recognise the type if you saw me like that, because it's a sort of invisibility, as we've discussed, and also... It's like punishment of I'm going to make myself as unattractive as I can, no matter who's doing the defining of attractiveness. Yeah, so shapeless, big, baggy, nothing bold colour-wise. I think that when I feel lowest is when I feel sort of invisible. And when, when I turn to those kind of clothes that you've just described, I think it's the kind of to hell with it you know I'm going to really go for it then but there are other times when I have to I do have to face the world and that's when I sort of double down on the dressing up even if I'm not feeling like it you know like faking it to make it you know yeah I think it's nuanced isn't it because in my world the literary world there's some writers whom I won't name who make it a badge of honour and it's almost like uh, you see them appearing on talking he- as talking heads on literary programme. And it's like they've made it, this is a very definite message. I'm so brainy, I don't think about things as frivolous as clothes. And, you know, you could run a competition. Um, how frumpy can I make myself look? I'm not attaching any value judgment to that any more than I expect them to attach a value judgment to me teetering in with my, you know, with lipstick. As you know, I'm very keen on lipstick. That goes on. I think it always has gone on and always will go on. And it's just there. That's it's fine. I mean, room for all of us. I Yeah, I'm fascinated by the politics of making an effort or not making an effort. And the fact that sometimes... There's an almost reverse vanity to it, and you get it. It's also a real class indicator quite often. You know, both of those, yeah, both of those things are true. Class, um, but I, I do think that we've moved forward, and I think that perhaps one is judged as a woman less severely for daring to be uh, frivolous in um, attire. Well, we're multifaceted people and we should surely understand that, right? And as you say, that, yes, I know you love red lipstick. Similarly, I love, I'm very attached to my black eyeliner, but that doesn't mean that we also don't know about... Proust. Yeah, I actually don't know anything about Proust. But yes, Proust. <laughs> Who was she? <laughs> Little joke, I do know something. Would you... Yeah, I mean, speaking about the lipstick, what would... What would be something that you would turn to now that you can guarantee will lift your spirits? Well, red lipstick. I love the classic red lipstick. And you very kindly gave me um Chanel classic one the other day, Laura. And um, I wear it every day. I wear it swimming. I'm very keen on lipstick swimming. 
I feel, why not? Uh, it makes me feel better whatever I'm doing. I serve at a very high church in Primrose Hill and um, I wear it there with the serving gear. I wear it everywhere. It's just a massive boost. And I must say, I feel reluctant to go back to um, the other lipsticks now. I just think it's a fantastic thing. That might pass. I might go into another phase. I can't wear nail varnish. I just find it too high maintenance. I don't like chipped nail varnish. Um, and I just find it, it too high maintenance. So I can't remember the last time I wore nail varnish on my, on my fingernails as opposed to my toenails, which I regret because I often see people and think, oh, gosh, that looks so nice, like you, Laura. Exactly. But I just can't do it. Although I do like my toe varnish, I must say, um, and I have a rule that I do two pedicures myself for the third one every time. I can go to my local parlour which has got to be one of the greatest joys of my life, lying there, falling asleep more often than not, having my feet massaged and my toes painted. Pure bliss. You have some fabulous hats, though, that not for church, just I've seen them on the heath. Do you, do you think so? I, I used to have more. I wish I had more. I've got some fake fur ones. A problem with a hat, I think, is that it's a commitment. You have to be confident to wear it. I always feel very self-conscious. Yeah, so that if you get halfway through the event and your confidence is ebbing away, you've still got you've still got the hat. <laughs> it's nothing worse than sort of feeling like I can do this in whatever you're wearing, and then sort of feel I didn't quite have the guts. I was going to go out on Saturday night in a dress that demanded no underwear, but the problem is that without underwear you could see straight through it, and I thought I've got the balls to do this. You know, Sarah, there's a new me coming. <laughs> She's coming. She's been threatening to come out for a while. I couldn't do it. I you thought couldn't. I'm not going to sit there like, you know, sort of apologetically in a see-through dress. Yeah, if you something like that, if you're trying to cover up with your hands type of thing, then it's the worst of all worlds, <laughs> isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, in my head, that outfit would have been very sexy, but I don't think it would have been very sexy in reality. Also the wrong audience. <laughs> I did buy that lovely sexy red dress that you've seen last year. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It's coming out soon. Um, what would you wear if you were looking to feel sexy? Well, I'm normally quite good at dealing with hypotheticals, Laura, but that is so hypothetical and so unbelievably unlikely to happen um, that I can't answer it. Uh I'd be thinking about which bra was the least grey, I suppose. So the final question that we ask everybody is, why, why do clothes matter? Well, clothes send a tremendous signal, don't they? And I like to think in some way uh, it's a reflection of the inner woman. And well, what is that reflection and what is the signal? Brightly coloured, I think, reflects op optimism. Some sense of joy, even if that's tinged with irony. A uh, sense of humour. A certain amount of confidence, although, of course, one never wants to have too much. I think in other societies and in the past here, it's been more important to assert a sense of individuality. Uh, I see it a lot in former communist countries where it's, there's not much available. And I, indeed, when communism was still around, it was much harder to assert individuality through clothes and therefore more important. 
we live in such an atomized society now, don't we, where choice is elevated to the great God. And I think that clothes have more assumed their rightful and proper place rather than having the exaggerated role. And you mentioned class, and they are great class signifiers clothes, but thank goodness, much less than they used to be. And that has to be welcomed because, well, class signifiers are a bad thing. Clothes have the potential to let you be whoever you want to be is something that I think is really democratic about them. Yes, that is true, and that is something to celebrate. Although, from a personal point of view, I feel I need quite a lot of things to stop me being who I want to be. (laughs) Explain. (laughs) To fend off disastrous consequences. (laughs) Well, red lipstick in the ponds, you go for it. And I think you're sexy, but I always think you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. And it's so lovely to have you. Thank you, you, Sarah. Okay, well, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. I wish we could go on chatting. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much to Sarah Wheeler, the author of Terra Incognita and Mud and Stars. Please rate and review Grazia Fashion, Why I Wear It, wherever you get your podcasts.